Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is great to see everyone this morning. I just want to give you a great big welcome to the house of the Lord. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad you've chosen to be with us today. Before we go into our worship service, I just want to let you know kind of what the Grace Church schedule is this week. A couple of things we want to make sure you remember. First of all, we'll be gathering this evening, or I'm sorry, this Tuesday evening, make a note, Tuesday evening, for uh, churchwide prayer, for first Tuesday prayer here in the sanctuary, Tuesday evening at 7.30. And then, I think everybody knows by now, but please make a note, if you haven't heard, help us spread the word, family night outside next Saturday from 4 to 7. Uh, so that, of course, is a reschedule, that, that's news so make a note, next Saturday, family night from 4 to 7, we will be out here on the campus having a great time, and we want you to be a part of it. Next Sunday in the service, we'll be honoring all of our veterans, so we want you to come with that in mind. Veterans, come knowing that we want to, spe uh, to pay special tribute to you and thank you for your service. And also in the service next Sunday, Reverend Stephen Collins will be ministering in that service from Birmingham, Alabama. We're going to be welcoming him, looking forward to his ministry. One last note, it is hard to believe that we are now right at two months from the end of the year. Don't know how that happened, but here we are. That means that, that shortly after the first of the year, all the, the donation statements, tithing, giving, all those statements go out for you, for your tax purposes. That means we have to have correct and updated contact information in the church office for you. So if you have moved this year, have not updated your, your mailing address with the church, now's the time to start thinking about that, start updating that information so that after the first, we can get your contribution statement to you and you can file it with Uncle Sam. Does that sound all right? Okay, well, I know I mentioned taxes and Uncle Sam, and that'll throw a wet blanket on it every time. Stand with me if you would. We're getting ready to praise the Lord today. The Bible says, bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want you to know what we're getting ready to do today really should just be a continuation of praise and worship in our lives all week long. So really, for a, uh, for a lot of you today, you're just stepping into to a, a daily habit of praise that you conduct every day. But if you're here today and that's not the case, maybe the, the week has been distracting, maybe you've had some challenges, and maybe your praise just kind of drifted away from you. The great news is, is we're entering into a segment of our service, into a moment in the presence of God where you can just come right on board, you can join with us, and you can find your habit of praise again in this worship service. If you're ready to worship the Lord, I wish you'd just clap your hands and shout the name of Jesus with triumph.
this often, but I believe with all of my heart in the omnipresence of God, God is everywhere at the same time, we all know that. But I believe here today we're experiencing the manifest presence of God. He's just not showing up because it's a part of His nature to be omnipresent and to be everywhere at the same time. But I believe He's zeroing in on some needs here this morning. He's zeroing in on some people here today that He would love to minister to. And to have you leave here today different than the way you came. Thank the Lord. That's what the presence of the Lord wants to accomplish. He wants you to leave here better. He wants you to leave here closer to Him. He wants you to leave here stronger in your relationship with Him. And if we can accomplish that, then the will of God can be accomplished here today. Thank the Lord. All over the house today, can we give Him an ovation of praise and gratitude? that His presence is here. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell him I think you're pretty. And God bless you. You may be seated for a moment. As we commented at the beginning of this service, we welcome all of our guests here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming, for being here and sharing the wonderful presence of the Lord with us. Uh, it seems like the more people that are in this house, it just gives God that much more to work with. And uh, I'm so thankful for all of you that are here. Those of you joining us on Facebook Live, live stream, etc. We're so glad, so thankful to have you here with us um, via uh, our wonderful, wonderful technology. And uh, speaking of that, I want to applaud our media booth again, our production booth in the back. They do an amazing job, not only keeping everything wonderful here, but literally the airwaves carry Grace Church around the world, and we have people oftentimes from all around the world that uh, tune in and watch, listen, and we trust that their hearts are blessed and moved by the Spirit of the Lord as we are here. And uh, so I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, we have a, a giveaway today. 
Everybody loves things for free, right? We love to have stuff for free. So we're going to give you a book today, except there's nothing written in it. It's just blank pages. We hope you enjoy it. It won't take you but a second to thumb through it. And your mind will be as as blank when you started as finished as it was when you started. So actually, it's a journal. And we're going to give you an ink pen. And uh, so you can write things down. Uh, feel free to bring it to church with you. Make notes during sermons and Bible studies. Uh, don't try to draw a picture of the person's back of the head of the person sitting in front of you. That's not the point of this. I have seen people do that, and they've shown me after church. Look, who, you know who this is? Yes, Brother So-and-so. I did that during church. The ones with the least amount of hair seems to be the easiest ones to draw. I will say that for those of you that or I'm getting in that camp with you too. But uh, anyway, but we do have these nice journals. That's Grace Church on the front of it. And uh, with an ink pen attached to it, you will enjoy that. Those of you that were here this past Wednesday night, uh, I feel like we taught a very compelling Bible study, uh, reaching out to our dads, really reaching out to our dads. Well, it just so happens that the information that I presented at the first part of that Bible study uh, We've put a copy of that in your journal. So uh, when you open your journal, you'll get the copy of those things that I talked about Wednesday night, at least part of it. And uh, we've included that with your journal. So everybody that gets one of these gets a copy of what I presented here this past Wednesday night. Thank the Lord. And uh, God bless you. Pick one of these up after church. They'll be in the front. Uh, We'll have folks out there that will be uh, helping you with that if you need it. Uh, but they're on the table in the lobby across from Grand Central. I love it when we go through cycles where our ministry team teaches and preaches. I thoroughly enjoy it. I need it. I like to hear other people uh, teach and preach, especially the men sitting to my left or your right. Uh, They love this church. They love God. They love the kingdom of God. And uh, they're, they're plugged into what God is doing. Several months ago, I asked them to go on a rotation to teach and preach a Wednesday and a Sunday. And uh, it worked out pretty good because by the time they were done with that, you folks were ready to hear me again. And uh, so it, it kind of helped. And uh, so it takes long absences for you to want to hear pastor preach again. So we accommodate that the best we can. But anyway... Uh, As we all know, we've been going through the the COVID experience and what have you, and it it seems like a lot of that is going away. I'm very thankful that the governor took away the mask mandate, and uh, that made a lot of people feel very hopeful uh, that perhaps, at least for the near future, we can resume life uh, pretty close back to normal. Grace Church is experiencing a huge wave of momentum. Uh, Since I preached this bunch message, couple of months ago our attendance has shot up close to 40 people on Sunday morning on average of about 40 people and that's pretty amazing to me and you can tell here today uh, the building is a whole lot more full than what it's been especially during the COVID uh, pandemic and and etc so since it was doing so well I met with the ministry team and I said Grace Church is doing good we're riding this wave of momentum and I'd like for y'all to have a part of it in the pulpit so that's why you'll be hearing from our ministry team. You heard from Brother Dave last Sunday. Today, Brother Jason Cooper's coming to preach. I've looked forward to this. God uses him mightily every time he preaches. 
I'm asking everybody here today, everybody, to open your heart to the man of God, to the word of God, to the spirit of God. It will make you better. The presence of God is not going to hurt you. It's not going to make you worse. It's not going to make you regret it. We sang a song years ago when the church was in Baker. The only regret I have is not making my decision to serve Jesus a little bit sooner. And everybody feels that way who embraces a real, genuine relationship with God. You just wish you would have done it sooner. I'm asking everybody here today to open your heart, embrace the Word of God, and let the presence of the Lord have His way in your life. And everybody said amen. Brother Jason, come and speak to us today. God bless you. Thank the Lord. Love you much. love you Grace Church and I am glad to be able to call you my brothers and sisters my family you are a part of me a part of my immediate family you just uh, you've made us better and uh, it's just not a lot of words that can properly convey how much this church means to me and how much I love and appreciate brother and sister Murphy would you hang out for just a little while thank you I appreciate that I need to preface my message today with a few comments that will hopefully give you the best framework for the word that God has given you. The first thing I want you to know is that this message is not going to be a negative message. It's not a downer, doom and gloom type of word. I'm not one of those preachers. I don't know what kind of preacher I am, but it's not one of those. So it's not a negative message. And this message is not a feel sorry for poor pitiful Jason type of message either. I do not get my emotional gas tank filled off of the pity of other people. That's not what I'm after. I'm not a fan. I'm not into it. But while it's not a negative message or a feel sorry for me message, it does come from a rather dark place of struggle for me. Now, look, y'all relax. <laughs> y'all relax. I'm not about to air out all of my dirty laundry here in front of Grace Church. It's not one of those kind of messages either. Um, I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. Context matters even when that context is uncomfortable. And I've, I've been around long enough to know that there's a pretty fine line between being transparent and authentic and being foolish and oversharing. And I'm, I'm going to do my best to land on the right side of that line for you today but sometimes preaching is reflective and sometimes what you hear come across the pulpit is um, it's often what that individual has been experiencing and going through in their own lives and so today I want you to know that is definitely the case and if you're sitting there today and you wonder who in the world is Jason Cooper preaching to well he's preaching to himself first but maybe somebody else too. What I'm asking you today, Grace Church, don't check out on me. Hang with me. There's going to be a part a little bit later in this message that's going to be a little uncomfortable for me, but, but don't check out on me because I believe I have something for more than just one person. I believe that, that God wants to breathe life into a very desperate heart today, and I appreciate you staying with me through that. Let's stand and read the Bible. What do you say? 
you are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you, praise team. And I got to say, I really like the fact that we're giving out a blank journal. Jesus likes it when you write things down. He does. That's a good thing. We're going to go first today to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. The writer of Hebrews is using this, uh, this, this Scripture that we're going to look at to introduce the, what we call the Hall of Faith, all of these great matriarchs and patriarchs of Scripture that live their lives by faith and thus receive the promise. It says there in, in Hebrews 11 and 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to show you what it says in the Amplified Version. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things that we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. And then quickly over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul, writing to Timothy toward the end of his life, said, Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Seems to me that Paul's making a very strong connection between faith and finishing. If you want to finish, it's going to require some faith. So if we can connect those two scriptures, if you're going to finish, at some point it's going to require that you perceive as real fact what has not been revealed to your senses. That you're going to have to believe that there is a confirmation and a title deed given to you for the things that you hope for because you don't have them yet. If you're going to finish, it's going to take faith. So today, for a little while, I want to talk to you about that, about faith to finish. Faith to finish. Would y'all pray for me today as I pray for you? Let's pray together. Lord, you know exactly what needs to happen in this house today. You know the word that they need to hear most. Lord, you know. You know. God, what they came in carrying. Lord, and you can see what they can't see yet. So I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word. Lord, help me to say it right and not get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Y'all uh, y'all ever feel like a failure? I know that. Yeah, you're going to lead with that, Jason? Yeah, that's what I'm going to lead with. That's pretty heavy. Y'all ever feel like a failure? Now, I, I don't mean like you just failed at one thing that you tried one time, like you built a birdhouse for the first time and you hung it and it fell apart, or y'all tried to make a gingerbread house at Christmas that one year and it came out looking like a marshmallow monstrosity massacre. That's not what I mean. It's not what I'm talking about. Not like that. But I, I mean as in you failed at something, something big. You failed at something that really matters. Something so big that it left you feeling like you hadn't just failed at that one thing, but like you'd failed at life. I know I sure have. More than once. But the first time I can remember feeling that way was in Miss Jean Wales' first grade math class. 
Now look, Miss Wales was a nice lady. She was patient. She was kind-hearted. She and my mom taught together. They were friends. She was a very nice person and a good teacher. But when she put those purple ditto pages in front of me, covered in math problem, ditto pages. Stop the timer. Stop the timer. Y'all not taking my time for this. Ditto pages. Okay, so back in the day, in the dark ages of education, before computers were prevalent in classrooms and before copiers were in every school, teachers had to use this thing called a ditto machine to make handout. Don't you nod like you know what I'm talking about? You don't know. You don't know. Teachers had to use this thing called a ditto machine to make handouts for their classes. And so the teacher would actually have to handwrite on this carbon copy paper thing what they wanted the handout to be. And then they would take it and put it on this machine that had a big steel drum filled with purple ink. Don't know why it was purple. And they would turn this handle. Kazook, 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 kazook. One at a time, making copies. If they need a hundred of them, they made a hundred motions. And that, that paper, we call it ditto paper, ditto pages. And it had this purple ink. It had a very distinctive smell. Some of you know, whenever they were warm, yeah, they smelled a certain way. Ditto pages. You can start the timer again. But y'all need to know how far we've come. Ditto pages. And Miss Wales put this pack of ditto paper in front of me. It had all of these math problems on it. And y'all, I cried. I mean, legit cried. Snotted, slobbered like only a traumatized six-year-old can do. Big tears falling down on those ditto pages because I didn't get it. I didn't understand what I was supposed to do. I knew numbers. I'd been to Bellingrad Hills Elementary for my kindergarten career. I had a pretty successful kindergarten career. Learned some letters, learned some numbers, took naps there on the little red and blue mats in the middle of the day. Thought I did all right. But now there's all these numbers stacked on top of each other with symbols and sometimes they're written off to the side with blanks and I just, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And apparently I was the only one. I was the only first grader that didn't know what to do. Because all the other first graders in Miss Wales' class, they took out their little number two pencils and their little pink uh, rubber erasers, and they just started mathing. Everybody's mathing except the new kid, Jason, over there crying in the corner all over his ditto pages. And I, I, I was sitting there, I, I don't even know what's going on right now. I don't know. And it didn't stop there. Because then I made it to middle school, and I found out that Multiplying and dividing fractions is a thing. And then this older classman told me about something called algebra. So now we're going to take letters and mix that in with the numbers. And the letters mean something, but you have to figure out what they, what they are and what they mean. And for some reason, it was always X, Y, A, B, and C. It was never H. M never got any love. I don't know why. It's just always those numbers. And y'all, Miss Powers, she tried real hard. She was a nice lady. She was patient. She was kind-hearted. She was a good teacher. But I had this mental math block the size of Hoover Dam in my brain, and it wasn't going anywhere. Miss Addison in reading, 
Ms. Addison, I got you. Ms. Sewell and ELA, even diagramming sentences, didn't like doing it. But I, I could figure it out. But now you're telling me we're going to have to figure out what these letters mean mixed in with these numbers? No, bro, I'm out. I'm out. It doesn't even seem like it should be a thing. But somehow, amazingly, I made it through middle school math into high school. Coach Mears taught me Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, but he was also my track coach. So I made C's in math. Mom and Dad weren't real happy about it, but Coach Mears was happy, and so was I. And then I went to college, LSU, baby. Go Tigers. Having fun in 91. And me being the genius that I am, I signed up for Algebra 1021. That's a beginning-level math at LSU. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.30 in the morning. Now, math is a problem for me at 11 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but 7.30 in the morning, that was a real stretch. And y'all, Dr. Vaughn, she was really nice. She was patient. She was kind-hearted. She was a good teacher. I went to her office after class often to the point that she got me a math tutor, like somebody else to talk to because she was tired of seeing me. But at the end of my first semester at LSU, I walked into that Algebra 1021 final exam rocking a solid D in the course. And honestly, y'all, by that point, I was pretty happy with the D. D stood for diploma as far as I was concerned. Just get me out of here. So it was one of those departmental exams at LSU. Math class with Dr. Vaughn, usually 20, 25 people. But for that final exam, I walk into the bottom of Lockett Hall into this room full of 300, 300 people, easy, 350 maybe. And they passed out that departmental exam. And y'all, I was the first person finished with that exam. Now that right there is what you call a red flag. And I will remember for the rest of my life walking over to Dr. Vaughn and handing her my exam and the look on her face when she said, Oh, Jason, you're finished already? And I was like, yep, that's about all we're going to get today. And I walked out. I walked out knowing that what I just did on that exam, that is not going to get me a passing grade. Because I came in here with a D. I just made a big old F in the beginning level math class at LSU. We're not talking differential calculus. We're not talking theoretical physics. This is the beginning level math class, and I just flagged it. Not the most auspicious beginning for my college career. I failed it, man. I failed it. I blew it. Not because I didn't show up. Because I did. To my knowledge, I don't remember missing a single one of those 7.30 a.m. math classes. I showed up. And it wasn't because I didn't try, because I did. I paid attention. I did the homework. I tried to do the homework. And it wasn't because I didn't get help or ask for help, because I did. I went to see Dr. Vaughn after class. I had the smarty, smart math tutor person try to help me. I was dating Julia 
Miss Math Brain herself back there at the same time. She didn't know what to do with me either. It wasn't because I didn't show up. It wasn't because I didn't try. It wasn't because I didn't get help. And it wasn't because I didn't want it. I didn't want a bad grade. I wanted to get it. I wanted to, I wanted to understand. I wanted to be like the smarty, smart math people. I didn't fail. Here's my point. I did not fail Algebra 1021 at LSU my freshman year because I was a slacker. I failed it because I just didn't understand. I failed it because I thought there was something like wrong with me. I failed it because I didn't get what other people got, this magical thing called a math brain. I didn't get one of those. And I knew that whatever the problem was, the problem wasn't with math. Math worked for other people. This didn't work for me. I was the problem. Somehow, some way, I don't know. But I, I didn't do enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't gifted enough. But I failed. And it was my fault. And I tried to play it off like it didn't bother me. But it did. I was ashamed of that F. I, didn't, I never made an F class before in my life. In my house, you didn't make less than a B, unless it was math, and it's Jason, okay, well, mom and dad just kind of lived with it, but it bugged me, man, I didn't like it, I didn't like the fact that I just failed, I mean, I was never great at math, but I had never tried that hard at something and still failed that bad before, y'all feeling me? Now, here's the rest of the story. When I went by Dr. Vaughn's office a couple of days later to check my grade because I'm a glutton for punishment. Back then, they would post your grades outside because, you know, no internet or whatever. And uh, I go to check my grade, and, and they didn't put your name. They put your student number, and, and there off to the side of my student number was a D. And it didn't compute. Like, I took out a piece of paper to make sure I was, like, lining up the lines right to make sure that that was... But yeah, I, I, I passed. There, was a, there really was a D by my name. And I was happy about it too, man. Not because I did better on the exam than I thought. I can assure you that was not the case. But because Dr. Vaughn had mercy. And she knew that I tried. And she knew that I wasn't going to try to build bridges or build planes or work on people's bodies for a living. She passed me. She gave me a D, but I'd earned an F, and I knew it. Now, there's a sermon right there, a little sermon about mercy. It's not what I'm preaching today, but it's there. And, y'all, I wish that was the only time that I'd ever felt like a failure, but it wasn't. I have had quite a few times in my life since then, especially recently. Now, this is where I need to be careful, and y'all need to give me some grace, so bear with me. But Grace Church, I have some dreams, some hopes. I have these things in my heart that I can't quit yearning for, these things in my brain that I cannot quit thinking about. I wake up in the morning thinking about them. I go to bed at night thinking about them. And no matter how many times I've asked God to like swap them out, trade them for something else, or just take them away, they're still there. There are some things that I want to do in the kingdom. And, and even 
I hope this sounds right, but some things that I feel like God has equipped me to do and would be extremely fulfilling for me. And I've had a few brushes with it over the last four years or so, but it just hasn't happened. And I've had to wonder why. Like, am, am I not skilled enough? Am, am I not talented enough? And am I not connected enough? Maybe I probably I'm not righteous enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not dedicated enough. Maybe I didn't, I know I didn't pray enough. Did I wait too long? I mean, I'm almost 48 years old. My ship hasn't sailed, but it's definitely pulling anchor. Did I not move when I should have moved? Did I not stay when I should have stayed? Y'all, the, the list of questions and doubts is endless, and I have prayed them all. And God hasn't said much about it. Maybe somebody here can relate. And it's kind of embarrassing. This is hard to do right now. It's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing. Because I've talked about it, you know. I've, I've put it out there. People know. I've verbalized it, trying to, to speak the things that I hope for. And yet, here I am. Still hasn't happened. So here lately, and especially over the last few months, I've had that feeling again, that, that math failure feeling, only way worse, way worse. And I, I'm going to tell you all what it sounds like in my brain and in my heart so that you really understand where I'm coming from. It sounds like this. It sounds like, Coop, you blew it, man. You somehow managed to mess that dream up, and you failed. Those, those dreams are done, and it's time for you to be a man and deal with the facts and, and settle on for whatever the rest of your life is going to be. Yeah, you had some dreams and some ambitions and, and some hopes, but you couldn't figure it out. So it's time for you to just suck it up, buttercup, and, and find a way to deal with the regret and the might-have-beens and just get on with living life. Make other plans. Don't let yourself get bitter. Move on. And I said all of that to say that here lately, I've felt like a failure. And it took all of about 3.5 seconds for the mind monsters in my brain to go from feeling like a failure to I am a failure. So there it is. That's what I've been dealing with. The awkward part's over. You can take a deep breath and we'll move on. Because I told y'all, even though this, that's where I've been living, this is not a negative message. It's not. And even, I told y'all this is not a poor, pitiful Jason message. It's not. I'm, I'm not here today to preach my problem. I'm, I'm here today to offer somebody some hope and some healing. Because I, I was talking to Jesus the other day. And he finally said something that my heart could latch on to and my brain could understand. And I'm going to give it to y'all the same way that he gave it to me. Now, I want y'all to get ready because I'm going to move through this first point real quick so I can actually get to my sermon. And here's the first thing that Jesus said to me. He said... Who told you that you're a failure? 
That's what he asked me. Four o'clock in the morning, lying on my couch, just having a very open, honest conversation with Jesus. Not really expecting much of an answer, if I'm honest. Jesus, I I feel like such a failure. Lord, I, I don't just feel like a failure. I'm starting to think I am a failure. And I listed it out for him, my resume, of why what I was saying about being a failure was true. And he let me go for a few minutes, and then clear as day. I don't know how else to say it. It was almost like he was in the room with me. Clear as day. He said, well, who told you that, Jason? Who told you that you're a failure? Because I didn't tell you that. Did the devil tell you that? Because he's a liar. And the truth isn't in him. He hates you and he hates me. You're not going to listen to him, are you? Who told you that you're a failure? Did your own heart tell you that? Because you know, Jason, you know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I love it whenever Jesus quotes scripture to me. Who told you that you're a failure, Jason? Because that did not come from me. That didn't come from me. The heavenly father who stitched you together in your mother's womb with my own fingers. The heavenly father that knows what you have need of before you even ask. That didn't come from me. Who told you that you're a failure? That didn't come from your Savior who went to a cross and shed his blood to pay a price for a debt that you couldn't pay. I didn't tell you that, Jason. So who told you that you're a failure and why are you listening to it? Y'all, I'm going to get off of this point quickly. But you got to make sure that your definitions of success and failure are coming from the right place. The Father who loves you, the God who gave himself for you, let him define what success and failure look like for you. Not TikTok. Not Instagram. Not YouTube. Not Facebook, old people. No, that cannot be where our definitions of success and failure come from. We have access to more stuff that can be on your doorstep in two days and access to more information than has ever been available throughout history, and yet we have less joy than ever. And it's because... Our definitions of what it means to succeed and what really matters in life are coming from sources that do not know us. Your heavenly Father knows you intimately. Every day of your life is written in His book according to the psalm. So why not ask Him? Why not ask him what failure looks like for you in your life? Why not ask him and let him define what success should look like in your life? Ask him what he thinks about you. Ask him what he has to say about you. Ask him how he feels about you. Maybe you didn't fail. Maybe you just need to define success differently. I mean, according to what God values. Come on, Dad. 
Come on, Dad, I know you, you didn't leave probably whenever you wanted to and, and things look like they're kind of a mess right now and it's not pretty, but you're still trying. And God looks at that and he thinks, man, he's a champion. He's still fighting for things that really matter to my heart. Come on, Mom. I know you didn't leave even whenever people told you it's, it's time. It's time for you to leave. It's time for you to do something different. And your family's still together. And it might not look like the pictures that you see on Instagram, but God thinks that you are absolutely amazing because you are acting just like he would. Come on, young person. Come on. Maybe you didn't get voted most popular, and sometimes you stood out and you felt a little weird, but you lived an example, a compassionate, loving example of who Jesus is in front of kids that don't even have a clue. And God looks at you and he says, you're not a failure. You are the best son or daughter that I could have ever asked for. I hope you hear my heart today. Ask him what he thinks. Ask him how he feels about you. Thank you. You're very kind. You're very kind. Maybe you didn't fail. Maybe you've just been focused on the wrong definition of success. And the reason why you feel like a failure is because you're not listening to the voice of the one who knows you the best and loves you the most. Jesus defines success. I can't be any plainer than this. Jesus defines success and failure. Not culture. Not your family. Not your ex-husband or ex-wife. Not your abusive father. Not your overly medicated mother. Not your own ego. And certainly not your own twisted human heart. Because it's a mess. Jesus defines success. Let me say it one more time and make myself plain. Get your framework for what success looks like and what failure looks like from the almighty God who loves you enough to die for you because anything else is just not right. It's a flawed framework. Who told you that you're a failure? Because it wasn't Jesus. Man, y'all are doing great. Y'all really are. But now I want to preach my message. And this is what I've been trying to get to. And here's the other thing that God dropped on me. And I hope somebody can receive it today. The first thing he said was, who told you that you're a failure? Because I didn't tell you that. It wasn't me. And the next thing he said was, Jason, maybe you didn't fail. Maybe you just aren't finished. Really thought that'd go over a little bit better than that. But that's okay. We still got a little time. Let me preach it a little bit. See how you feel about it. Scripture. The Holy Word of God is absolutely full of stories. Of men and women whose lives looked like absolute failures. I mean train wrecks. If you only read certain pages, 
I mean people that look like complete failures at some point. And probably, if they were human, even felt like failures because of the mess that was in their lives and the way things looked. But they were failures. They weren't failures. They just weren't finished. Okay? Let's take a little walk through Scripture a bit. Some of these people show up in Hebrews 11. Abraham. His name means father of many or father of a multitude. But he was childless and homeless even after receiving the promise for years. Then he tried to get around God's timetable for the promise by having a child with his Egyptian servant, Hagar, instead of the child through his Hebrew wife, Sarah. Hagar was not the wife of the promise. Sarah was. But Abraham said, it ain't happening. Let me try it another way. How do you think Father Abraham felt when he had to send Hagar and his son Ishmael packing just so he could have some kind of peace in his home? Do you think he felt like a failure? Like he had just blown it or missed it? Like there's no way that God can bring us back from this. He gave me a promise and I tried to do something else and now I've ruined it. Do you think maybe Abraham felt like a failure? But he wasn't a failure. He just wasn't finished. And what about Sarah? You think she felt like a failure? Unable to have a child for years in spite of what God had spoken? And then this whole thing with Hagar, that was her idea to begin with. You don't think she looked at what that mess turned into and thought, man, I have ruined my family. How could God ever redeem the mess that I've made out of this? You think she felt like a failure? It sure is possible, isn't it? But she wasn't a failure. She just wasn't finished. What about Joseph? Had these God-given dreams of greatness. Lived in the house with his father's favor. Somehow managed to keep his heart aligned with God's values even after being betrayed and lied on and sold. Do you think Joseph ever felt like a failure? Whenever he was covered in the stink and the pain of Pharaoh's prison? Man, look at you, Joseph. Way to go, Joe. Running your mouth about all these dreams you have. And here you are, bound in chains and forgotten about. Teach me to run my mouth. Should have just kept my dumb mouth shut. It was a nice dream. You don't think Joseph ever looked around and said, man, it was a nice dream. It was a, it was a good dream. And I tried to do everything right that I could the best way I knew how, but it just wasn't enough. I wasn't enough. I don't know what happened, but I guess I failed. But we know the rest of the story. There were more pages of Joseph's story left to be written. The best parts, the best parts of his story were still to come. Joseph wasn't a failure. He just wasn't finished. Oh, you're finally starting to get on board with me. Okay, that's good. That's good. Let's see if we can get the rest of you. Moses. 
Moses. Moses went from the palaces of Egypt to keeping sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Murdered an Egyptian, got called out by his own people for doing so, and then just vanished into obscurity for four decades. Do you think Moses ever felt like a failure? Looking at the same sheep, wandering through the same wilderness, looking at the same wells, living in the same tent, day after day after day for 40 years? No record of a word from God? Do you think he felt like a failure? But he wasn't. He wasn't a failure. He just wasn't finished. Y'all getting the idea? Y'all paying attention? Come on. What about Elijah? Y'all ease up. I ain't going to preach the whole Bible. But y'all need to hear these. Elijah, the prophet of God, you think he ever felt like a failure? Elijah went from Mount Carmel and calling down fire from heaven. Can you imagine? I wish I could do it. Be fewer cars on I-12 if I could. He went from Mount Carmel and calling down fire from heaven to hiding in isolation beside a dried up brook, taking food handouts from unclean ravens. Then God sent him from there to live with a destitute widow in Zarephath for years. You don't think Elijah ever looked around at how things were going and felt like a failure? I wonder if anybody in Zarephath ever walked up to Elijah about, talked to Elijah and said, Hey, Elijah, how's it going, how's it going man? Oh, not good. Not good. Thought we started out okay. Thought God was with me. Thought we might accomplish some things in the kingdom. Thought we might be able to bring this nation back to God, but it ain't going too good right now. He didn't fail. He just wasn't finished. Samson. Samson. Fooled around with his commitments. Never got his passions in line with his convictions. Wound up shackled to a grain mill with both of his eyes gouged out. Walking around in circles every day, weak, defeated, feeling guilty. You think Samson felt like a failure? You ever feel like you're walking around in circles? No vision for the future? Walking over the same old ground over and over again? Maybe you can identify with Samson, but his story wasn't finished. You know what? Samson is listed right there in Hebrews 11. Right there alongside Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David. Right there in the hall of faith. Samson. And we could talk about Gideon and David and Elisha and Hosea and Jeremiah, the apostle Paul. We could talk about Jesus. Oh, wait, Jesus. Jesus was a failure? Yeah, Jesus. On the cross, beaten, bloody, 
humiliated, convulsing, just mocked and betrayed. I mean, does that sound like a resounding success and victory to anybody? Calvary was an absolute failure by anyone's standards except for one person. To everyone else but God, Calvary looked like utter failure. But Jesus didn't fail. He just wasn't finished. Because three days later... He knows what it feels like. Hear what I'm saying. He knows what it feels like to endure what is perceived as failure, but to see there's something else left to be written. Uh, I think y'all get the point. I'm going to let you off now. So let me bring this thing in for a landing. I want to show y'all one more thing. Y'all should get ready. I need to do more cardio. Let me show you something. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. It says, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, Jesus, people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships. How many ships did he see? Two. How many ships? Good. Math, not a problem for you. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. Now, hold on a minute. Okay, how many ships were there? And which one did Jesus enter into? Simon's. Wait a minute. Now, this is Simon Peter that we're talking about here. This is the dude that would fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus is there pouring his heart out in prayer. Knows he's about to die. And Jesus is praying so hard that he is bleeding. Simon Peter's over here taking a nap. Jesus wakes him up one time. Finally says, okay, Pete, sleep on, my friend. This is that Simon Peter. How many boats were there? Whose boat did he get into? This is Simon Peter. The one that would cut off Matthias's ear whenever they came to arrest Jesus. That's Christian-like. This is Simon Peter. This is the one who told Jesus a few days before, Jesus, I ain't ever going to leave you. These other jerks, they might leave you, but not me. I'm staying right here with you, Jesus. I'm your guy. I will die before I leave you, Jesus. This is Simon Peter, the very one who would deny Jesus, not one time, not two times, but three times, because he was so afraid This is that Simon Peter. The one that would blow it big time. This was that Simon Peter. The one that would look like and sound like an absolute failure. This was that Simon Peter. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. How many boats were there? Jesus had other options. He didn't have to get into the boat with Simon Peter. 
He didn't need a boat at all. He could have just walked on the water out into the middle of the lake and taught from there if he wanted to. He chose to get into the boat with Simon. Jesus goes up to Simon and says, hey man, can I use your boat? Let's keep reading. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Taught the people out of Simon's boat. Now when he had left speaking, Jesus said unto Simon, Hey, now church is over. Why don't you launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw? And Simon answering said unto him, watch this part, this is where it really gets good. If you've been waiting, here it is. Simon said, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Translation. Jesus, look, we've been working really hard. We worked really hard. We worked hard all night long, and we came up empty. We failed. There's a lot of hard work for nothing. And we're ready to pack it in and head for home. Maybe we'll try again tomorrow. But right now, Jesus, we're tired. We're smelly. We're hungry. We're frustrated. And we've already cleaned the nets and packed it all up. We failed. We're done. Nevertheless, 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 at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their nets break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and they filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he was Simon, the reed, the one who breaks and is easily shifted. And he was Peter, the rock, at the same time. The weak one and the solid one in the same body. Simon Peter saw what had happened. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, Lord. Jesus said, Simon, throw your nets in a little deeper. Look, I, I know, I know. I've been watching. It's not a single thing that's been hidden from me, Simon. I know you fished all night and caught nothing. And I know you're tired. I know you've already cleaned the nets, decided it's just time to quit and go home. I know you worked hard. I know you gave it your best shot. And you did all you knew how to do. 
And I know you failed. Simon, you're not finished. You're not finished. See, I can see something beneath the surface that you don't see. I can see something deeper that you don't even know is there. And I can tell you, Simon, you didn't fail. You're just not finished. Simon, y'all stand with me today. Simon, do you have the faith to finish? Simon, do you have the faith to finish the course? Simon, do you have the faith to say, I'm tired. I thought it was done. But nevertheless, Jesus, at thy word, I'll put down my net in a deeper place. Come on, Simon Peter. Jesus is pulling hard for your heart today. Listen to me, Simon. There's a substance and assurance. There's a confirmation. There's a title deed of things that you've been hoping for. There's a proof of things that you can't see that are deeper beneath the surface where only Jesus can see it, but He knows. Hasn't been revealed to your senses yet, but He can see it. That's why He got in your boat. That's why He chose to partner with you. He sees the failure, the one you know about and the ones you haven't even committed yet. He sees it already. He sees what's going to happen. And he still got in your boat. Because he knows, he sees that you're not a failure. You're just not finished. I'm asking a Simon Peter here somewhere, to, somebody here today, some, somebody, a Simon Peter, have the faith to finish. Have the faith to finish and say, Jesus, I don't see what you see, but you got in this boat with me, even though you had other options. So that means there's something else beneath the surface, down so deep that only you can see it. So I'm going to have faith, and I'm going to finish what we started together, Lord. Oh, I'm asking a Simon Peter somewhere here today to have the faith to move forward again. Have faith, the hope of what you don't see yet, that you didn't fail and you're not a failure. Have faith that your story isn't over and the last chapter hasn't been written. Have faith to finish. Because God isn't done. Look, I, I, know, I know there's a stigma attached to a message like this. And it, it takes a certain amount of inner fortitude and gumption to step out after a message like today, wondering what people are going to think. I'm, I'm asking you to just today, please, please put that aside. Put it aside. Let him define what success and failure looks like in your life. Simon Peter, if he's been talking to you today, if he's used what I've been through over the last several months to reach into your heart, don't miss this opportunity to let down the nets again, to reestablish a connection with him, to be obedient to his call and say, nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, in your word, Jesus, I'll try again. Oh, I'm asking you to come. I know we always come as a church family, but Simon Peter, I'm asking you to come. Realize that he chose you. He wants you. He had other options, but he wants to finish this with you. You and Jesus working together to do deeper things that you haven't even perceived of yet. Oh, God, help us today. Help us today. Oh, find somebody to pray with. Maybe this message isn't for you. I knew I wasn't going to be preaching to everybody here today, but I know I'm preaching to somebody. Find somebody to pray with. There's somebody you can put your hand on their shoulder. Somebody you can wrap your arm around their arm. Take their hand in yours and pray the prayer of faith for them. Maybe they don't have the faith right now. Maybe they're just doing the best they can just to get up and come to church this morning. Maybe the weight of their failure is so heavy on them. It's in a struggle. But they're here today. Would you encourage them? Would you pray with them? Would you help them to find a way forward again? Come on, church. Let's minister to each other.